This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. As we've talked about a whole bunch on this show, the framework for the Canada Disability Benefit continues to make its way through the halls of Parliament in Ottawa. Bill C-22 may still be a ways away from putting money in the pockets of Canadians with disabilities, but there's no reason why we can't talk about it and what we'd like to see inside the framework. So let's do that with Elizabeth Moeller and Marco Pasqua. Hey, good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. And Marco, hello to you as well. Hello, hello. (laughs) So, Elizabeth, the benefit is top of mind for many Canadians with disabilities right now. What's your reaction to the benefit finally making its way towards reality, even if moving rather slowly? Yes, rather slowly is is a good summation. You know, the benefit was tabled first two years ago and then dissolved with Parliament. It was Bill C-35, and now we've seen the first reading in June of this year, 2022, and the second reading in October. So we're seeing that speed up. My concern is that, like never before, people with disabilities are living in unprecedented conditions around uh, not just poverty and unemployment, but also in terms of health. And so... I think a couple of things. I think it's long overdue, but I also think that it's only one part of a much bigger problem we have around employment equity, access to health and benefits, access to education. So the the bill is a good start, but it's that. It's a start. Yeah, I'm going to pull up that thread in a couple of moments. But Marco, I want to give you an opportunity to sort of offer an opening remark here as well in regards to the current economic situation. How does that add urgency for a benefit like this? Yeah, well, I mean, I think everybody knows people with disabilities in many cases have additional costs when it comes to equipment, uh, healthcare, uh, pharmaceuticals. So all of this adds up. And in a time of inflation, uh, every Canadian is impacted right now, but more so within the disability community, because if you can't afford to put food on the table, in addition to the fact that you have uh, other things, medical costs to consider, um, nobody should have to have to make that choice whether or not they eat or they have the, the health care needs that they, they need. So I think that having the Canada Disability Benefit really brought to the table uh, and brought to the table quickly in a way that makes sense really will support a lot of Canadians to sustain themselves, especially in these uncertain times. Let's try to put some uh, a practical term on this. The framework, again, still being sorted out. And included in that is the amount of the benefit and understanding that every province has their own different levels of disability assistance and their own cost of living. I understand this question may be a little bit unfair, but Elizabeth, what do you think the number should be? (laughs) Oh, well, of course you had to ask me that one. I think, I mean... I think you're right. I think there's a number of factors. Geography is a huge part of it, right? So the cost of living in Toronto is very different than the cost of living in a a smaller town, but in different ways. So rent might be more expensive here in Toronto. In a smaller town, rent might be cheaper, but maybe you're paying more for food Mm. or you're paying more for transportation Mm -hmm. because you're having to spend money on taxis to get around. When I lived in a very small town in southern Ontario, the public transit really wasn't, the infrastructure wasn't there. So you're spending more on taxis. So 
I think there's a couple of things that need to go into what that number could look like. So, so geography, as we've talked about, is one thing. But I also think the person's income. So $200 might be a lot for somebody on the Ontario Disability Support Program, where people can get up to now a maximum of $1,200 uh, a, a month. That would be a huge difference. But for somebody else who's perhaps making a little bit more, that $200 might be a nice to have, but maybe not a need to have. So I think, you know, the person's income needs to go into the factor. Geography needs mm -hmm. to go into the factor. What other expenses are they paying? Marco mentioned a great point around health. So are you paying for medical expenses? Are you paying out of pocket for attendant services or PSWs? Are you paying out of pocket for nursing care to come in? So I think that there needs to be, I don't think it should be one number. I think that the circumstances of of each person need to be taken into account and that the geography, the person's situation financially, as well as the, the person's perhaps age, what other benefits are they getting? Are they getting OAS? Are they getting ODSP if they're living in Ontario? So I think a number of factors need to go into finding the amount that's right for each individual circumstance. I think you did a nice job of kind of squirming out of my question. I think that's, I, I think that's you know, fair. I, I was thinking about that. <laughs> I, I think, I think you put the right caveats in there, but, but I, but I'm going to come back to you before I go to Marco okay, here. Okay. I'm not, but, I'm not off the hook. But, right. but, I'll, but, I'll, but, I'll, but, I'll, but I'll put my, I'll lay my own cards on the table too. In the sake of fairness and transparency, I'll lay my own on the table too. I think that at this point, we should be looking at almost $750 a month being the number given to Canadians who have disabilities, who are on this, who are on provincial government assistance. I think that we should be trying to get the overall monthly number a little closer to $2,000 total. I, I know that's still not necessarily enough money, but I think there would be some reasonable compromise there to use that as a universal building block to then sort of do a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, Elizabeth, which is figuring out the actual the, the actual circumstances that could impact the number. But I think we should really be trying to get people's monthly incomes up to yeah. about $2,000 a month. I, that's the number that I kind of come on. And that's where I say $750 is approximately the number as I carry from province to province and the various supports. So Elizabeth, I'm bouncing the ball back to you. Okay, I'll, I've got the ball. And I think, you know, it's interesting when I when I was doing some research for the show today, I was looking at one bedroom apartments in Toronto. And, oh, you know, gosh. they range anywhere from lowest 12 to 1300 up to 2100. So again, what your number would do is allow somebody to get a one bedroom apartment and still have a good amount of money left over for food and other expenses. Because at the end of the day right now, what we're seeing with the current benefit here in Ontario is people either don't have enough money for rent or they're paying rent. And then like Marco said, quite accurately earlier, they're having to make decisions about what other expenses they can afford. Marco, I, I stayed with Elizabeth there for a while, so feel free to elaborate a little bit if you want to on this as well. But where do you land on the number? Yeah, I actually agree with you, Dave. I think around the $2,000 mark in total sounds about right to begin with. Uh, you know, cost of living here in Vancouver is not any cheaper. In fact, if anything, it Oof, could be a little bit more, I think. It, yeah. yeah, so so the thing is, is like with the PWD supports in and of themselves, I remember when I used to be on PWD supports when I was about 18, 19 years old, I remember the amount of money that they were specifying, well, this is enough for your shelter. And this is, we're talking like almost 20, years ago and it was like five or six hundred dollars for shelter and that's how much they were deeming for shelter alone and i said i can't find a place for five or six hundred dollars like even if i agree to live in a box somewhere i'm gonna need to turn a light on right so <laughs> it's 
It's well one said. of these situations where we really do need to consider the factors that Elizabeth mentioned, uh, not just the factors of the province, but the factors of the individual and then the individual's city. Uh, because as you say, you can't just say British Columbia. If you're in the interior of BC, it's much different than you're living in the downtown uh, core of Vancouver or other some of the other uh, major metropolises, right? So uh, we really just need to make sure that we're not adding to the poverty issue and to homeless population, particularly among those in the disability community because they might not necessarily have the supports to help them get out of that situation, whereas others may uh, find themselves in a situation where they can have at least some familiar supports um, to help them get to the next stage, right? So, I mean, that mm. part does scare me. In this moment, this benefit really is being crafted or it appears it's being crafted to assist people with disabilities living below the poverty line. Here's where we get into where it evolves and some of the points that both of you have raised here. As it evolves, Marco, would you be in favor of the benefit being extended to people with disabilities who might be employed but are still making lower incomes, perhaps at a sliding scale? As you make more money, you may receive a slightly, a slightly smaller federal benefit. But but to me, that might be something to offset what, we'd, what we call the disability tax for working class mm -hmm. people with disabilities. What do you think about creating some kind of sliding scale here? Again, maybe understanding there would be a cutoff number. Like, for example, if you make more than $98,000 a year, you don't get full sure. RDSP benefits. You don't get the $3,500 a year in terms of grants and bonds. You only get $1,000 yes. a year. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying $98,000 is the number in this case, but I'm saying <laughs> what do you make of a sliding scale to say, hey, someone actually actually has a job, maybe they're a little bit underemployed, they're yep. still dealing with things like the disability tax that, that we pay, as, sure. as you both have identified. What do you make of creating a sliding scale here? I, I definitely think that a sliding scale is a good idea. Now, let me uh, preface that by saying that I don't think that just handing out uh, reams of money is a good idea for the country in general. Uh, but I do think that having a sliding scale where people have the opportunity um, to assess what they're going to need within uh, their disability needs is really, really important. Uh, for example, uh, like, for example, I wouldn't qualify right now for PWD supports because of the level of income that I make. However, it used to be back in the 70s and 80s for PWD supports that if you were a person with a disability that was identified on your taxes, you would get PWD supports whether or not your income was a certain level or not. Now, uh, obviously, I missed the boat on that one because I don't get grandfathered into a situation <laughs> like that. However, as we age, our needs change. And so, our pharma, as I said earlier, our pharmaceutical needs might change in terms of medication. Mm. The mm. needs for the types of equipment that we need may change. And thereby, having that additional income to make sure that we're still above water in these situations situations, I think it's going to be really important. So you said the perfect word, sliding scale is probably where, where we should look at. Elizabeth, I, I want to add another caveat before I bounce you a similar question. I don't want this okay. to be perceived as me saying I'm in favor of clawbacks because we've seen that as a huge issue inside right. ODSP, for example, where yeah. somebody starts working, they make a little income. Uh-oh, you just lost a lot of your provincial disability. I'm talking about creating a sliding scale at a number where somebody's already making a strong working class income before there'd be any kind of clawback or any kind of sliding scale kicking in. So, Elizabeth, what do you make of my sliding scale idea? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that are that are really good about that. I think the first thing is that 
a lot of people with disabilities, we know this, are underemployed. So we might have some income, but it's not a lot. And we're using our income and our disability benefits together to cobble together a living wage. So I think what that does is it allows you, if you're if you're working a little bit, to still have some income support. And then as you build up and you're working more, hopefully, if that's something you're able to do, the, the benefit um, is perhaps decreased depending on the income. But I, th I think the, the thing about this is, again, goes back to our earlier theme, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So it's really looking at the person's situation and what do they need. Mm. We've only got about five, well, four to five minutes left here, guys. So these last two questions, if we can be a little bit more concise, because I don't mean to be that guy, but I believe you've both identified this. Is this perhaps some window dressing? Isn't the issue here lacking disability income assistance? Isn't the issue a disability tax credit that can actually be quite difficult to sign up for? Elizabeth, feel free to tell me if I'm off base here. No, you're not off base. I think there's there's bigger issues, and I alluded to this at the beginning of the show, around equitable employment, education, access to health care, uh, even the tax credit. Like you say, not only is it difficult to sign up for, you have to pay to get the forms filled out. So if you're already on mm -hmm. a reduced income <laughs> and you're having to go to a doctor and pay that fee, that might dissuade people from actually doing it. So it, it is window dressing in the sense that there are bigger systemic issues that we need to deal with as our population continues to age and age into disability. Marco, I think you alluded to some of these factors as well in, in the conversation as it's moved along. But am I off base in saying, is this maybe a little bit of window window dressing? Isn't there perhaps a larger systemic shakeup that we can do here? 100%, uh, Dave. I, I think it is a little bit of a window dressing. I think like all, you know, politicians understand that, uh, you know, in order to get voters and individuals on their sides, they got to say the right things. You know, I can understand that aspect of things, but also we do need to see change implemented, right? And so I think that, um, you know, having, uh, you know, potentially an increased tax credit uh, to help to offset these things, as, a little bit, as Liz Elizabeth said, uh, you know, inclusive employment is a huge factor, and I'm a huge proponent of mm -hmm. those things that you've heard me mm -hmm. talk about in uh, access on the show. Um, so uh, having access to jobs um, that increase increase the quality of life for individuals and actually have them feel like they're contributing to the overall economy, I think is probably the first step. And then an increased tax benefit would be a little bit of nice icing on the cake. So let's play inside my premise for just a moment, though, and say the issue at play is a lacking provincial commitment to disability support. Marco, how would you feel if the disability support and accessibility file became entirely federal? Well, that's an interesting one. You know, there are pros and cons with that, right? I, I think if we go back to the original points in our conversation here, I don't know if just making it strictly federal is a good idea because every pro province operates a little bit differently and the lifestyle within those provinces operates a little bit differently. So, I mean, there could be benefits because then you're talking about an umbrella program that benefits all Canadians. Uh, but in, my question then would be in what way and how much? How much does it benefit us? Mm. Uh, so I guess that would be my comment there. <laughs> Even some Albertans with disabilities dislike the federal government, you know? Like, there'd probably be some uh, correlation there. Elizabeth, what do you make of the idea of perhaps... What, what would you make? How would you feel if the disability assistance and accessibility file became entirely a federal one? I think... 
quite honestly, you know, just to go back to Marco's point, it's about making sure that the supports are there, whether they're provincial or federal. I think it's making sure that whatever file it is, that it supports that people can live on and it supports that people mm -hmm. feel like they're able to access the services they need and that they're able to do so in a timely manner. So I think that the thing at the end of the day is the file itself really needs to be looked at in terms of how people are accessing these supports and are, is this a living wage and how do we support people who can work to work. So I think to me, it's not so much who arrests it with, but really critiquing the file in general. We've uh, talked about Bill well C-22 a lot on this show. We're going to continue to do it, but I'm so grateful that we could get both of your perspectives on this today. Elizabeth, thank you. Thank you. And Marco, thank you as well. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye, Dave. Bye, Marco. That's Marco, that's Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller. We were talking about Bill C-22, the Canada Disability Benefit. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.